You're listening to the Fueled by the Outdoors podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe, tell us what you think in the comment section, and leave us a review. I just hammered a good one. Dropped him. Asher. Never seen that deer before. It's a tough pill to swallow after having that deer at 18 yards. There it is. There it is. <clears throat> All right. Let's start. 40 times. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to fuel by the outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppard. And should we just make Josh Luck like an honorary co-host at this point? Yeah. We're going to okay. call yeah. you the third leg of the tripod. <laughs> I uh... the third leg, Josh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, third leg, Josh. I could that's okay nickname. You are not the third wheel, my friend. <laughs> we'll call you Kickstand. Kick there we go. <laughs> He's a bloody triple. You help support the show. <laughs> this is oh awesome. man! What a way well, to start off, right? Um, I think we're all a little bit more awake this week than what we were last week at this time because last last week we were all, I mean, still pretty dead to the world after the expo, but um, we finished last last. Uh, podcast out by talking about turning green leaves red mm-hmm. however we are now <clears throat> less than i mean 20 days away no right around right around uh 23 days away from opening day in kentucky september 3rd so we thought we'd talk about early season tactics that we plan on using and some of the equipment that we're going to be using uh rolling into the season we've uh all three of us hunted Kentucky the past. Well, Josh, I don't know that you hunted it two years ago, but you hunted it last year, right? Yeah, I hunted it last year, not the year before. Okay. And Chris, this is your third or fourth year hunting Kentucky? Third year. Third year. Okay. Now, to say all that, <laughs> who on here has killed a buck on opening weekend of Kentucky? Me. Chris, Christopher. Christopher. Yes. Now. We Basically say that legend <laughs> and down in public land history. No, that was cool. No. It was. I'm cool. just a guy who puts his pants on one leg at a time, like yeah. everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Awesome. Um, but all of us have been, all of us had encounters with deer early season in Kentucky last year. It was ridiculous. Uh, yeah, we we all should have had dead deer op- opening weekend last year, and it just one little step the wrong way, or we ran out of light, or an arrow just didn't fly right. But all of us had really close encounters. So in getting into this this year, we've all kind of decided that we want to talk a little bit more about this. We're all running mobile hunting stuff, like we've you know we just had an expo over, but I'll let uh, I'll let the deer killer start here. Uh, Chris, <laughs> enlighten us to uh, what some of your early season tactics are for whitetail, and when do you actually start your early season tactics? Because I feel like that's an important piece to how you go about things and being successful. So it's really funny because I used to feel like I was getting such a huge jump on deer and other people going out in mid-July, end of July. And 
now during turkey season and really right as turkey season ends deer scouting is just full blast um finding beds and key you know kind of trying your best to put pieces of the puzzle together like okay he's bedded here clearly you know there's a destination food source you know over here what's in between how's he going to use the terrain yada 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 and really something that i started to learn last year and i'm really taking a lesson in this year talking with josh and pierce analyzing some of our videos and stuff is how these big deer are using the wind and and more importantly thermals um it, it just it's it literally like somebody should write a separate bible for deer hunters because thermals are the gospel of the lord like they they live and die by their nose and watching them and you you know it but sometimes for me you know my brain works differently and and sometimes i don't think about it and and the other day i'm looking and you know i i had scouted this area and there's like a draw with a little creek that comes comes down to this flat and i found a hub scrape and i got a video of a buck that just was moving differently than a lot of the deer did last year and he's walking straight away and then just out of nowhere before he starts to go up the hill instead he stays in the flat and just 90 degrees to the left and and just starts to to walk and i'm like he's literally you know you we call it jay hooking but he's scent checking that whole damn hillside out of sight of anything on the hillside and checking his bed before he heads up to it and and he's headed right to that damn draw where all the thermals are pouring straight down out of it down that creek and i you know i i thought about it and then i mentioned something to pierce and josh and they're like well yeah i'm like man i just it's crazy like you <laughs> see this remind me was that video that bucked one that was that in the morning or the evening that was i forget honestly um but i had a buck do it this morning i stuck a uh i found this really cool security camera that is cellular operated um you don't need wi-fi or anything you get a prepaid phone card straight talk whatever you want um stick it in there and activate it and boom you have a cell cam and this thing will pan like something like uh you know 250 or 300 degrees something crazy and uh, you can go up and down with it and everything and it's got a solar panel so you never buy batteries you just charge it once and then hook up the solar panel and boom you have a fully charged camera all the time and uh so it, it goes off this morning and i look and there's one of the big deer i think he's one of the big nines that i have on camera and he's just standing there right in front of the camera and i thought man how cool and then i watched him do the same damn thing that buck did he's just going right along the bottom of the hillside right down the flat just 
checking everything. And I, I looked at the wind and there's zero wind. So what's he using? Freaking dropping cool thermals. Mm-hmm. You smart little bastard. So <laughs> well, it just kills me. And and that spot, we had we had kind of talked about this. Um, and this is something I feel like a lot of people don't know or don't think of, or there's a misconception. Um, Because when I started learning about thermals, it was like, oh, you know, thermals are falling in the evening, in the morning, they're rising, you know, low in the evenings, high in the morning, um, all that stuff. However, thermals are a little bit more complicated. There's there's a lot more that go into it. Oh, my God. Whether you have like an east-facing or west-facing slope, you know, when the sun's hitting the the ground and, and causing things to warm up thus causing your thermals to rise and, and and all that. So you can, in that spot where you have those cameras, Chris, I know you, you've had videos of them coming from a hillside off of bedding, going to a food source. And then when, when you had talked about that draw, because um, you had consistently got these deer in the evenings coming from bed to feed, bed to, bed to the crop fields, um, I had asked you, I was like, well, have you seen them using that creek or that draw um that what whatever it is that draw there that you were talking about uh, have you seen them using it in the morning um and then you just said right you saw that one buck using it in the morning so my my thought there was if it's early enough which it's it's still pretty early um and there's if there's enough canopy cover and in the mornings you're still going to have falling thermals in that area so those bucks can literally walk along that flat, like you said, hit that draw, catch all those thermals coming down and going through that draw before they get to their bed and then go up to their bed. Yep. Um, so it's, it's pretty, pretty interesting. I mean, we can all, uh, you see it on a map and theoretically mm-hmm. you're like, oh, theoretically, like this is what they should do, but you don't really know until you kind of see it. When and you then, see them doing it, you're like, it's it's like the guy being hunted on Jurassic Park by the raptors. Clever buck. But um, to kind of head back uh, to your question, um, my my early season buck in Kentucky uh, was a lot of luck and sort of just very 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 basic woodsmanship. Uh, we come to this area where um, you're basically about a mile deep on public and we accessed from private and there um, there were three ridges converging in like this freaking mega saddle um, and I I didn't even you know when I'm looking on on X and stuff you know I, I didn't know anything about that at the time um, what I did is I went out for a walk and I heard acorns dropping. I saw an old tractor path going down one ridge. There was a little meadow with green grass in it. That's like literally the size of my house, maybe smaller, on top of the knob. And then as you drop off of each ridge onto each ridge, you know, there's little saddles and stuff. And you could hear acorns dropping so i said well man because we had plans to go way way back and uh, i thought you know here we are there's acorns dropping we've got three ridges coming together 
you know, to me that says, you know, higher traffic area. We've got that old walking path, uh, tractor path, whatever back there. Let's set up here. And so that proved to be a solid strategy. But to me, you know, knowing what I know now, super, 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 super lucky. I didn't know how to play my ther thermals and I accidentally sat on the back side of the ridge and had my thermals just dumping off. A lot of people don't know. Um, poor Matt had to kind of turn around. Uh, I had bubble guts that evening and I had fly <laughs> from the summit climber. This was before I was really a, you know, what I'd consider a mobile hunter and uh, I couldn't get down fast enough. It just hit me out of nowhere. I had to take a schnutzenglicken from the free <laughs> and it was rough. And uh, so, you know, this is at like six o'clock or whatever. So I'm like, well, there goes the evening, but we'll sit here anyway. And then this deer comes in, you know, knowing what I know now, well, of course he didn't smell that or me or anything because all of our scent was just going straight down the mountain where we ended up finding the deer dead the next day. So um, it was really crazy uh, to me. And, and then, so without much knowledge at all, you know, we get down, trail this deer back out, come the next morning, the acorns I heard dropping were from a single tree. There were acorns dropping in one spot super close to us. We found a very fresh scrape and a very fresh rub on top of each other. The the licking branch uh, on the same tree, the, the same tree with the licking branch was rubbed like raw. Um, and I, I just, you know, thinking back, I'm like, well, no wonder you killed that deer. Like, it's no wonder that you killed that deer. So that's kind of what I did then. Now uh, we're looking, you know, in Kentucky, dear God, there's all the native grasses and, you know, shrubs and everything with leaves. Last year at a WMA, we, we had deer. We thought we had some kind of scrape, mm -hmm. branch, whatever. The deer were it was an Osage orange. Some people call them hedge apple, hedge ball, whatever. The deer just eat the hell out of the leaves. And then when you walk around the place, there's a browse line everywhere. So it just makes sense. You know, there's a lot of deer uh, in that area. And um, so finding the feed, you know, me and Pierce were walking around and he's like, where's the feed? And we determined that it was everywhere. They didn't really have one spot to be which makes it tough, but in my opinion, the older the deer, the more wise he is. And generally, you can probably, you know, if you're getting on, on camera, I think now we could probably pinpoint about how he's going to work his way in, in my opinion anyway. So nice. Uh, that's that's kind of, you know, the the gist. Good deal. Josh, what about you? Uh, I know that you started out last year. We actually went and scouted a property or WMA in March of last year. Uh, originally, when you put up the cameras, because it was right before turkey season, you found that shed in the middle of the field. Yeah, was it March? It was the first weekend in March. 
Yeah, it was March. So it's still cold. Now. Yeah, yep. still cold. It was right because you had your uh, cup of coffee, and then I made that gif with yes. the standard there, the cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. So last year, um, I so I, originally, I mean, I've said this before. I'm originally from Ohio. I grew up hunting Ohio, and then my wife and I moved to Northern Kentucky. Um, at the beginning of last year. Um, so in Kentucky, I had no, no private parcels to hunt. Um, and I grew up hunting private in Ohio. So, um, I really started hunting public out of necessity. And I also wanted to learn, right. I wanted to up my skills as a deer hunter. Um, so that was a transition. So my, my goal was just to pick out a few places. Um, Rick was kind enough to tell me about a place. That, that he just mentioned where we kind of went and scouted and he's like, there's deer here, you know, go find them, do your thing. Um, so my, my goal is to pick a couple places, scout um, with boots on the ground and with cameras, and then just really try and figure out how these deer were working these areas. So I, I basically wanted to know them like I knew my private parcels back in Ohio. Like I, I wanted to really focus on a few areas, get to know them, once I know them, then then move on. Um, you definitely know your privates, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I have a good understanding of how my privates work. <laughs> so anyway, um, so last year it was some boots on the ground uh, with Rick, and then um, when Rick wasn't able to, I went out multiple times on my own. Just try to get a lay of the land, um, put a bunch of cameras out in different areas. I focused on um, some creek crossings and some some areas that look like bedding. Um, I kind of spread them out just to get an idea of what deers, what mm -hmm. deer were in the area and how they were moving. And it just so happens that first place we did, I we were able to find some nice deer. Um, so I started kind of honing in on what they were using, what they were doing. The first year was just a learning experience. Um, the areas I, I'm kind of focusing on from last year and this year are really areas that don't have ag. They're kind of like what Chris was talking about where there's a bunch of browse everywhere. This one place, it has ag. It's probably three quarters of a mile to a mile from where the deer are actually, the bucks are actually bedding. Uh, and then there's another place I've started really scouting this year that it's just, there's, there's no real, there's mm -hmm. no ag, right? There's no corn, there's no beans. There's just tall native grass fields around. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. But anyway, <laughs> so the, the first place Rick and I started scouting last year, um, I was able to kind of hone in or get someone out of an idea where these bucks were betting. There were three, bucks that we had found on or that i had found on this piece um one was a nice three-year-old 10 point probably going to 30s um there was another buck i ended up finding dead um in june february february yeah unfortunately he was my number two buck um i had him officially scored at 150 and then um my the number one target buck um pro probably would have went mid 50s easy um might have pushed 60 now that i know that the buck i found dead 
scored 50. Yeah. Um, so with, since there's no ag in these areas, the, the tactics we were kind of using, I was, I was mainly using a lot of trail cameras to figure out uh, their travel routes. The, the deer were using these tall native grass areas. And, and for anyone that's hunting Kentucky, they're kind of, you know, you got rolling hills and small ridge tops. Well, you'd have these ridge tops that have just tall native grasses. And then in, uh, dispersed in them, well, you'd have autumn olive thickets, some honeysuckle, especially around the edges. And these are areas that are these are areas that are hard to hunt. They're not hard to get to, and these places do get quite a bit of pressure. It's just they're hard to hunt because there's no trees. Yeah, um, there's a, there's a lot of places like that in Kentucky. There's you get on these in these places where these deer are, but you just can't get in any trees. Um, they're like two to three inches around, or you got a a bunch of honeysuckle built up around the edges, and then there might be a tree you could get somewhat in, but in order to get high enough to see over the honeysuckle, it's like by that point, the tree's doing, you know, all crooked and it's just hard to get in. Um, so these deer were using these areas to bed and move through. And uh, so that's, those are the areas we focused on last year. Um, and then Rick and I had an uh, opening weekend. We went in to these areas. I had a camera that was just off of this ridge where the the tall grasses and some of the bedding was uh, was actually in between these two ridge points was, there was a small creek crossing where i had our, these bucks crossing on camera so i went there and then rick went up towards um this tall grassy field on, on a little opening you might have been what 80 yards from me yeah i was probably yeah. 80 yards up the hill from you and i was 25 yards from the field and mm -hmm. 75 yards from where the camera was initially. Yeah. So that um, opening day, we went out in the evening. We got there pretty early. Uh, I want to say around three or so. But then Rick had an encounter with that three-year-old 10-point. Just couldn't get a shot off. He came in like, what, 20 yards for you? 20 yards. I, yeah. Just I didn't have a window to shoot him. If you would have took a step left, you would have had a big opening. Mm -hmm. so that was one of the missed opportunities that we had as a group the opening weekend and then the very next day i hunted the same spot rick had hunted because rick couldn't go i had an encounter with the same buck however i think he was bedded on the opposite side of a ridge and then someone else had come through and spooked him and he was working his way around the ridge trying to get away um so, I mean, he was like 10 yards from me when he came yep. up beside me. Um, I don't understand how some, some of these bucks are like a church mouse. You, they're big, but man, they move through. Like you don't hear them until they're on top of you. I didn't hear that. And he was on a trot. I didn't hear him until I heard there was a small twig that broke. And I happened to look over my shoulder and he was right there. Uh, very, it surprised the heck out of me because it was 3.30 in the afternoon. I was like, uh... <laughs> caught caught with my pants, pants down. down. Yeah, third leg out. Put your chair off the way. So yeah, so those those are the uh, some of the tactics I used last year. I hunted that same place uh, early season. Didn't see much, although I, I had ran into another guy that was hunting the area, and he was you know hunt not far from me. 
around the same ridge top and he he had a couple encounters with some of the bucks uh, that were there so it's in the right area it just wasn't there at the right time um what were you gonna say taking a deep breath (laughs) (laughs) heavy breathing this this year um, i'm refining my tactics so i went to uh, now that i have an idea of that place that rick and i kind of scouted I looked for an area that was similar because we found good bucks in this, this type of terrain with these terrain features, you know, with small kind of rolling hills or small ridges. And then, you know, these areas with like tall native grasses. So I, I seeked um, another area to go scout. And a lot of people we use it. I mean, it's, it's a good tactic. A lot of people will look for, for ag or feed or, or fields in which deer are feeding, right? To get them on some kind of a bed to feed pattern. I'm kind of going the opposite direction. I'm looking for areas where there's none. So it does make it harder. Um, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm finding deer in these areas. So I'm, I'm going to go seek them out. Um, it just makes it a little bit harder on myself um, as far as like feeding because they literally have browse everywhere. So it's, hard to get a pinpoint on where they want to where they want to feed um so i scouted another area used some of the same tactics boots on the ground dispersed cameras throughout um this area and then uh i i checked i actually pulled cameras from that place today um, i checked it one other time uh, a month and a half ago I put a couple more cameras out and then moved some cameras. I had pictures of deer. Some of them were at night, so I knew I wasn't close. I needed to move them, um, get back in these areas where they might be, you know, closer to bedding. Uh, and then I went back today and checked all those. And then I got got a bunch of day daylight photos or nice. videos. Yeah, I'll have to show you some of those, Rick. I, I found yeah, a licking yeah. branch off. I found a, a licking branch off of one of those uh, like grown up fields. Yep. And uh, I put a camera on it, and then sure enough, got all these bucks hitting the licking branch. I Imagine think uh, like four or five different ones hitting it. Wow! Nice. Yeah, nothing there. That area, I'm I'm going to focus on the area that we hunted last year. Um, mm-hmm. The area I scouted today, we'll pull cameras from today. There's there's some really nice two and three year olds one there's like one four-year-old and he'll probably go in the 30s maybe upper 30s so that's only a small chunk of this area there's a lot more to explore so at some point during the season i may go do that but back to the first place we hunted where we had the encounters last year so again i use some of the same tactics put cameras out however on this area since i had history with it and i knew where some of the deer were um, I, I sh- kind of shrunk the area in which I had the cameras. I, I basically put initially put four or five cameras in a line, so to speak, between like these ridges and, and then down through this creek of where I thought a travel route might be, uh, where some of these bucks were moving. I went and checked that, uh, I don't know, like a month ago. Um, had the number one target buck from last year confirmed that he was alive. And he's in the area 
However, I wasn't on his travel route. Mm -hmm. And then I also confirmed that that three-year-old 10 point that we had an encounter with last year is also still alive. Um, so he's still there. And That's I think positive. I think he's betting in the same area. Um, hmm. And then there's a new, a new number two there that um, I don't think I have pictures from last year. So, so the ten point from last year, you think it was three last year or this year? I think it was three last year. Uh, I sh I've shown you a picture of him, yeah, Chris. Yeah, sure. So if he's betting in the same spot, that deer's dead. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a matter of getting to him. He's he's in a good spot. Uh, you can't. It'd be very hard to get from him from behind him, because you literally have to go through another tall grass field. And I know there's does that bet around there. Uh, um, I you'd have to set up. Um, I had video of him doing the same thing this year, crossing the creek. Um, when I checked those cameras the other day, I hadn't had him for a couple weeks. But in general, he's in the same area, and I think he's betting in the same area. So I'd have to, for him, I think you'd have to set up to intercept him coming off of his bed going to this tall grass area to browse. Kind of like last year, you'd have to find a spot on the on the route to the field in order to get in there to get him. Yeah, yeah, for for that deer especially. Yeah. Um, he's a nine point this year. He's not, he's not a 10 anymore. He actually didn't get much bigger the last huh year. yeah i thought he would i thought he would blow up still a nice deer yeah still a nice deer he'll, he'll still probably be in the 30s um so when when i had those when i checked those cameras a month ago i confirmed some of the deer were in the area um, but i wasn't on you know a good travel route so i i changed them up uh moved them to different spots to basically on this one ridge system that's kind of where I have these cameras focused on now. And then when I was out, oh, when did I check? I guess I checked it last weekend. Uh, there was a, a thunderstorm that rolled through mm -hmm. as I was checking and pulling cams for the last time at this place. I usually try and check cameras and pull them and move them like a month or a few weeks before a season opener and then just stay out. Cause by that time I should have enough Intel to get me in the right spot. Um, but anyway, when I was there, a thunder, a pop-up thunderstorm came through and I was like, Oh geez. Like, and it got real dark and real still real fast. And I was like, uh, it's time to leave. <laughs> so <laughs> it started downpouring. I'm like rushing out of there. And I was like, I really wanted to check one more spot that I, hunted i hunted there briefly last year just once i sat in the spot once but i, I knew that at least the number one target buck would kind of bed around this this one spot kind of kind of on the side of this ridge so i was like man i was like i should really take advantage of all this rain and then walk in here quietly and just see if i can walk up on something because at this place i i have not been able to walk up on a deer like in its bed and spook it out of its bed. The those deer just stay so still and they'll let you walk past them and they'll just sneak out the backside. Or if they hear you from a ways off, they waste no time and they will get out. Like it's they're just very used to pressure and, and then they know what they need to do to survive essentially. Um so I 
I wanted to take advantage of rain to try and sneak in the spot as, as quietly as I could. And I, I accomplished my goal. I got within like 25 or 30 yards from uh, one of my target bucks there. I, nice. I, think, I think it was the number one. He got up pretty quick. Um, I, it wasn't the number one. It was definitely the number two. It was a big deer. Um, and so I searched this hillside and found the the bed he was in wasn't like worn or beat down. I think it was there getting just kind of out of the rain. But I, I searched the hillside, and there were a couple other beds that were a little bit more worn. Um, so I came up with a game plan, hung cameras kind of on the fringes, and then got out of there. So I think uh, my game plan for this year is I'm I'm going to go right in there, and then see if I can get it done. Good deal, man. Well, I mean, if if you got them on camera, you know where the beds are at you know, getting as close to the bedding cover in some of those situations, it's a very aggressive tactic, but it's still a very proven tactic in being able to get a good mature deer as well. And I mean, I'm pulling for you with either one of those bucks, I think. Well, any, any three of them really like I, I'd, I'd love, I'd love to see you get any three of them. Now, the unfortunate end of it is you will both be in Nebraska so you will not have that opportunity for a velvet buck, which not in Kentucky, not in Kentucky, yeah. in Nebraska, well, maybe in Nebraska. Well, well, last year, if you remember, Rick, the two largest oh, that, deer in this piece held until the second weekend. That's true. That's true. I didn't even think so about that. The one, may, maybe they will again. We'll see. Yeah, the one that uh, that you and I both had the encounter with had already shed its velvet because yeah. that's what confused me when I saw him. I was looking for velvet and I thought I saw a skunk in a bush. It made no sense to me because I was seeing white and reddish color in a bush moving around. And lo and behold, it was the deer's antlers and he was eating brows. So you bring up a good point, And this is part of my early season tactic with, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to hunt public opening weekend. I put, I'm putting forth my effort on the piece of private that I've got and I'm hunting it a little bit differently uh, based on something that uh, Tyler Westell and, and Chris and I talked about on here, Josh, I don't know if you were on that podcast, but we're looking up old fence rows and kind of seeing where traditionally things might have been. So I hunt. Uh, it is a it's it's a working cattle farm, but the deer follow old fence rows all around this place because there's only so much pasture that the guy lets them graze on and things like that. And outside of the electrical fences, there's probably, I don't know, a, you know, 60 to hundred foot wide gap in some areas where the old fence rows used to sit. So in doing some e-scouting, I kind of looked at it from above, like where would, where would these old fence rows have sit? So I went over there, started looking around, find persimmons, find acorn, like find oaks that would be dropping basically in the middle of a field at this point, but they're close enough to uh, the current fence rows and the current tree lines to where deer aren't going to be coming too far off of it. And you can get in behind some of these deer. The odd piece about this property is, and you know, I've shown you both pictures of the deer here before. Uh, this is the first year that I have deer daylighting early. 
And uh, when I mean early, I mean they're they're some of them are young. There's one decent one, but the idea here for me is to I would really like to get a velvet buck. I think I, I I've got enough bucks on this property this year. Um, thank you for the home builders around the property shoving all the deer onto this property because you're cutting down the woods and they're all coming to me, which I'm very happy about. So I think I had four or five different bucks, uh, two two-year-olds, the bit, uh, no, probably three two-year-olds. One is probably was born last year. So it might be a year and a half. And then a, I would say a decent three-year-old and he, he, he's, I don't know what he'll score, but he looks big to me and he's in velvet and I'm not really good at figuring that kind of stuff when things are out in velvet. The, the main tactic that I use though, is something that you brought up earlier, Chris, is just using basic woodsmanship that you learn and putting that into place in these areas that you're going to. So I grew up like Josh and Chris, I'm sure, I mean, you guys still have it uh, of being able to hunt bean fields and yeah. in Ohio, you, you can hunt bean fields until they turn yellow and then the deer aren't eating them. So then you better be finding acorns. The problem with Kentucky in the areas that Josh hunts and that I've hunted and Chris has started hunting is it's a lot of Hills and it's even, even like cow pastures. It's not flat cow pastures like you think of when you start driving west across the country. They're very hilly. They're up and down, but there's lots of food sources because it's multiple farms that have been kind of patchworked together over a period of time. So kind of looking and marking where those trees and stuff are and finding those food sources, finding easier travel routes to go in through there. Now, the other benefit that I have of this property is there, there are two separate streams on the property to be able to walk through. So I can control scent all the way into the pinch point where I've got those bucks daylighting at. And they're all, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. It's a set of woods that funnels directly out to an open grassy area, probably, I don't know, 300 yards long. And you can either walk straight up through the field, which is very tall native grass. You can walk up the creek. Or like last year, I got permission from the owner of the property on the other side to access down his tree line and go into the back where there is a massive, I got to think it's, I mean, it's probably an old growth tree. That's the only way I can describe it. It's one of the biggest oak trees I've ever seen in my life outside of something like in the Carolinas that they've preserved. But this is a very old growth tree and the years it drops acorns, it sounds like it's raining. And it, it's one of those trees where you hope that you hope that it holds until later in the season because there's other food sources towards the front of the area, which is, I think is what's happening with these bucks. And they're moving in towards the food sources that I've kind of set up on versus that thing dropping acorn. I mean, obviously it's August, but it's not going to start dropping acorns till the start of September. Now, the problem with this is, is that that thing starts dropping acorns. I'm kind of screwed and I got to find a way to get in around that tree without disturbing anything. I can still walk the Creek back to it, but it becomes infinitely harder because there are so little trees around that area and it's all kind of scrubby 
gross stuff that's on the same on the WMAs that we look at. Um, can you I, can you sit in that tree? Um, not with the stand I have. I could literally climb it. Like I could climb up in it and sit in the tree. I don't know how I would practice shooting my bow that way, but it is definitely one of those things where I think there's limbs large enough where I could stand on top of it and lean against the base of the tree. And I would a huge tree. Oh, I mean like can't it, it would all three of us can't put our arms around it. It's oh, like, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it it's like if I had a ladder stand, I could like lean it against it, but it's, it's it's very big. It's very old. Now there's a few trees, and I actually set up on it last year. And the day I didn't go to the WMA with you, I had a doe and a fawn walk in front of me, come right down underneath it, looking around on the ground, and they just kept on going. I have one tree, but it's pretty exposed. Is the only problem, and there's there's not a lot of cover as you would get in some of these other places where you get 10 feet up and you know, the honeysuckle below you is going to block out the view. This is, you know, this tree kind of shades a larger area. So it blocks out a lot of those trees and blocks out a lot of that scrub. So they all kind of, the deer kind of mill around underneath there and then move along. And there's deer trails all the way through there. The larger bucks on the property though, walk across the native grass field into the woods towards it they don't come from the back of the property and move towards it so i think i've got their travel routes figured out to where i just have to make sure i'm playing the wind correctly and that's the one piece of advice that i don't think a lot of people think of and chris you brought this up with thermals but certainly people will say like oh play the wind play the wind when you're in a hollow or something like that, it swirls. Wind, wind gets in there, it's going to swirl, and you're, it, it's not always going to be accurate as to what your app says, or the meteorologist on the TV says, or whatever. Like You have to know and understand how that wind is going to act when you're in there. And I've hunted it now for four years, and I know that if I set up on a certain side with different types of winds it's going to go straight down into that creek and it's not going to sit there and swirl towards the back of the area which is what killed me two or three years no two years ago when i couldn't get a deer to come near me just what it wasn't happening until i had a really dumb one come in on thanksgiving morning <laughs> yeah in those areas you gotta kind of hope it's not a real windy day because then mm-hmm. you'll just get a bunch of swirly winds it's it's really advantageous in those days well in that scenario depending on like how open or how narrow it is right if you have hardly any wind and you can set up like right next to the creek so you know your thermals yep. are just going to fall and follow it other than that that's kind of what i learned last year hunting um that place we scouted in kentucky i would get down in between like these two ridge points but if there was there was a small little like creek or drainage down in there where if it wasn't windy I could get right next to it and it'd be fine, but if it was a windier day, I mean my scent would just be you know swirling all, all over the place, all over the place. If you're looking for an affordable technical gear style clothing that performs well, that 
cuts weight from your clothing, but not from your wallet, check out Huntworth. Whether you're hunting early season in Nebraska, mid-season in Ohio, or late season in Iowa, Huntworth has a system to keep you comfortable and focused on your hunt. With early season fast approaching, we highly recommend checking out the Durham Lightweight Hunting Pants and the Midweight Shelton Hoodie. These items paired with an appropriate base layer will perform at a high level in multiple early season conditions when fishing and hunting. So we've been on the search for a new broadhead this year, and after doing some research and kind of looking around, we found this company called Afflictor Broadheads. We got our hands on some of the heads this summer to test out, and guys, I got to tell you, I believe that this head will be in our quiver this fall. Each and every broadhead is hand-assembled in their Texas facility by people who truly care about your experience. This year, I'll be shooting the K2 Mini and the K2 Hybrid, and I gotta tell you, I'm absolutely loving them. They fly great, they're extremely durable, and the penetration is just deadly. I can't express it enough. I also love the practice pin feature these guys came out with. So far, I'm really, really impressed. To learn more for yourself, check them out at afflictorbroadheads.com. So we talk about tactics we should probably talk about equipment because this is, I mean, you guys are obviously doing something different than what I'm doing opening weekend. I'm, I'm going to be sitting in a tree. You guys are going to be spot stocking mule deer out in Nebraska. Hopefully. Oh, 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 oh. What? So we may be in trees. Really? Um, found an area with trees and uh, they're going to be cedars or pines. They don't, uh, you might find cottonwoods too. Okay. But a lot of evergreen trees. Um, I feel like there's a pretty good chance that we'll be in some good trees. We're going to have to – now, these cedar trees, pines are not that hard, but cedars are thick. So we're going to probably have to zip tie some limbs out of the way and stuff um, just to get in them. And you won't go very high. But it'll be, you know, six, eight feet. You might mm-hmm. get a 10 or 11 foot tree. Like it just, they're so thick. Um, you're not going to be able to get very far up in them. But uh, if it's enough to gain an aerial advantage and be able to hide, that's all you'll need. And you'll literally just smoke whatever deer. They'll never have an idea that you're there. Nice. So, we will be using some mobile hunting equipment, stands, saddles, platforms. More than likely with those situations, we'll be more with like a platform situation, I would say. I was going to say, I would imagine it's more of a saddle on a platform type thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but continue. I apologize. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> so, what I guess the idea here is. Last year, we we were all in the same area, using kind of the same equipment. We we've we've altered some stuff this year. Um, I know Chris, you and I uh, talked about broadheads. What what broadheads are you using this year? So, 
I am using the afflictors and um, I was shooting so for a while now. So last year I shot the Bloodsport Grave Diggers. They were great. And any deer I shot with them, obviously you got to make a good shot still, right? But um, the, the deer did not live very long and they did not go very far at all. Um, this year I have since made the switch to Afflictor. And for a while I have shot the K2 Hybrid. And it's kind of, you know, in my opinion, it's more of an expandable. I don't mm -hmm. really look at it as what I'd call a hybrid. Is it a hybrid? It is. But for me, when I'm thinking about a hybrid, I'm thinking about a, a decent-sized um, cut-on contact head, or fixed head, we'll say. It mm -hmm. doesn't have to be cut-on contact, but, um, you know, just a... Uh, a fixed head, generally, you know, one and an eighth, one and a sixteenth at least. A lot of them are one and a quarter, one and a half. Um, so then they have a, a solid size, you know, one and a half inch plus expanding blade on there. Mm -hmm. With these, um, they basically the and and the the ones i'm used to have like a cross cut so you've got like a big plus sign when you hit the deer right yeah so with these the um the fixed head is a lot smaller i want to say it's like five eighths of an inch so it's pretty small and then the expanding blades line up with that blade so they're on the mm -hmm. same size um so that I guess that's one like uh, you, you could almost call it a negative simply because you're going to have something like a single bevel or what, you know, a two blade cut. Yeah. They do have bleeders, but there's something to be said when you put that big square, that big, you know, plus sign hole in a deer. The, the wound can't close up. Now, I will say I'm pretty confident that they're still going to do pretty well. And I think probably my favorite part about that head well twofold so a they're going to out penetrate the heads that i was using which is one of the reasons that i've decided to go that route or did and um the other thing is i love that i can take so they come with these little uh, like clear plastic pins that go in a hole in the ferrule. So you close the blades, stick the pin in there, and that is the same weight as the O-ring that holds the blades in. Really? So remove the O-ring, put the plastic pin in the ferrule, and that locks your blades down. So now you can use the same exact head as a practice head. You're not mm -hmm. using some stupid freaking it makes me want to cuss and say all kinds of things like the muzzy practice heads where they're like, just like little well, sheets like, of metal hey, let's stick and cat on the end of an arrow and we'll call it <laughs> <laughs> like what the hell are you people thinking you already made the damn broadhead just make a doll broadhead and put that in there why are you making a completely different shape like that drives me back crazy so 
We need Jacob Myers here to hit Mark. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm pretty excited about that. And so far, I have I've been shooting them now for a couple of months, and they're flying like darts. Now I'm gonna be real with people though. Like I don't get into that. That's a marketing thing. Uh, any broadhead in the world, if it passes a spin test on the end of your arrow and your bow is tuned and you've tuned your arrow set up, like everything's good, that thing's going to fly good. Now, some will be a little more accurate and group better than others, a little more consistent, we'll say. Obviously, if you're shooting like a, you know, a inch and a half, inch and three quarter fixed blade or some, you know, some mega fixed blade. Well, it's clearly not going to fly as good as an inch and an eighth fixed blade. And then, you know, when you get down to those super closed expandables, um, you know, like a thorn or a sever or something, you're not, those are basically field points at that point. So they're not going to have the best, uh, I guess, consistency, uh, you know, compared to something like that. So, um, but I am going to shoot a crossbow a little bit this year just to piss people off. And um, <laughs> I, uh, for no other pleasure than to piss somebody off. Now, uh, we'll use the, the K2, the Afflictor K2 fixed head on there. And I actually think I'm going to go from the K2 hybrid to the K2 mini. Uh, so the K2 hybrid is an inch and three quarter cut. And the K2 mini is an inch and a half. And the reason I'm doing that is simply because, and I can shoot those fixed heads. Like I bet money I could go screw on one of the K2 fixed heads and shoot and hit the same dot on my block target as I could with the hybrid that's basically closed down like an expandable. Mm. I mean, it'll fly the same. So with that said, I wanted it to go to the K2 mini because again, you know, the, the penetration, if you're taking a shot on, let's say, you know, a mule deer or whitetail out west and you're shooting, you know, 50, 60, 70 yards, 80 yards, you're going to have a lot better chance of penetrating that animal sufficiently. And then some uh, when you lessen the surface area that's cutting. So uh, that's my reasoning behind that. So, Josh, what are you using this year? So last year I shot the Magnus Black Hornet fixed blade for a fixed blade. I really like those heads. I used them for a few years. They worked very well. Um, however, last year, um, for anyone that was following, right, I, I shot a nice buck a little bit back. And then I went through this whole three-day fiasco of trying to find it. Uh, I, I killed the deer, right? So nothing against the head. The head's... You know, if you're if everything's tuned well, they fly real well and they'll kill deer. You had, um, and I quote, the perfect storm though yeah. that really, really got you. Yeah, there was there was a lot of different factors. I mean, it rained, super thick area, like the deer went like way in a completely opposite direction of where we thought it might. So there there were multiple things. But anyway, the blood trail that I had. I've had better blood trails, but I shot it back, definitely hit liver. I just didn't have a great blood trail. Yeah. And I had I had 
I used to back in the day, I used to shoot mechanicals and that, and then I, I love those blood trails. I've never had anything like those blood trails. So this year I wanted to go back, um, to a mechanical just to try it out. I heard, I heard good things about the severs. So I got severs. Uh, I got the one and a half inch, the max penetration ones. You did the one and a half. Yeah. 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 So did a couple of reasons. Um, we're going out to Nebraska, so I didn't want to get anything too big in case, you know, it was a longer shot on a mule deer. I wanted to make sure I still had decent penetration. You know, mechanical is, you know, they they open and deploy. They're not really going to penetrate as well as a fixed blade would, but I wanted to optimize it as much as I could. Um, so I'll be shooting the, um, the Severs this year, the 1.5. Um, I So I have a half a dozen. I would like to also, so I got a dozen arrows, so I would like to throw another half dozen together and probably do those uh the afflictors you guys are shooting and then do the the k2 hybrids i kind of want to compare them and just see how well they do compared to each other flight and penetration and all that that'd be pretty cool we should do yeah. that yeah yeah those severs man the severs look really nice they're 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 a damn nice head i i when i went over to um jeff's to play around with bow stuff have a little bow date uh the freaking he showed me those and they're pretty slick head mm -hmm. give it to him so uh i'm excited to see what those do for you this year and uh i think we ought to we ought to put some severs against some afflictors and just let the let the arrows decide <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd like to I'd like to kill a pile of deer with them and just just oh. put them to the test all the deers all the deers all, all the deers. <laughs> what do you want to shoot, Rickles? Uh, K2 hybrids. Uh, I I think I'm pretty much decided I'm either a mechanical or hybrid guy at this point. I've I've shot I've shot fixed blades out of my crossbow. Uh, the past couple times I've killed deer with it, and last year just it didn't fly right. I didn't recover that doe. Just again, tons of rain. There's probably other factors for it, but. It just, uh, you know, I've every deer before that I've shot with a hybrid or a mechanical. I used to use Grim Reapers all the time. Nasty. Do they like they just open a massive wound channel and I, I love them to death. And <clears throat> I've been looking for something that I hope will do something similar, uh, you know, I'm willing to give uh, a different thing a try with the K2 hybrid. I'm I'm excited to try it. I'm excited to get out and practice with it a little bit more. But realistically, I I think that that is the route from personally for me. I I don't take I don't take 40 and 50 yard shots. I just don't. Anything that I really shoot is you know 35 and in, and it just seems like that works better for me. And I like massive blood trails. I just I love not having to not look for, you know, little pinpricks of blood. Just I like mm -hmm. blood spraying everywhere. What's amazing to me is when you get those mega cut broadheads, uh, two inch <laughs> plus, if you don't hit some crazy bone, mm -hmm. I mean you're going to have a hole you can shove your fist in. And what's funny is <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
walked walked right into that one. You did. Anyways, I'm like, I lost my train of thought there. Blood trails, massive um, blood trails. So with as tough as these deer are, it just seems like when you use those heads with a huge cut and make a solid shot, and even sometimes when you don't make the best shot mm-hmm. and you have something like what Josh did, where you, which, you know, I'm the first person to call bullshit and call people out and everything. And we had a wonderful, wonderful group conversation last year where everyone loved me after Josh mm-hmm. shot that deer. Um, and <laughs> I mean, I just, I call it how I see it and I'm not always right, but I'll be the first to stand up for Josh and say 98% of people would have shot that deer the exact same way and been thrilled AF that they hit that deer there and they would have screamed and cried and celebrated and thought that they made some amazing shot. But because of a, the slight quarter two angle that that deer had that you would have to be a wizard to recognize in the moment, right? Then, for whatever reason, I can't explain this, but when you have a deer that is at a feed station, bait pile, whatever, for whatever reason, they hunch up, it seems a little differently than if he's, you know, you know they're reaching mm-hmm. way down there and they are hunched up. And that deer was like, hunched up it's weird he was like more compact and everything and i swear like myself i i did not believe that it was the double lung that a lot of people did but i still looked at it and said man that deer's going like he's hurt bad and i think he got at least a lung and then listening to josh correct me if i'm wrong but you felt like it was straight liver when you found him is that correct when I found them, yeah, I would, I would, I mean, the coyotes got to them, but I, I saw the entrance once I got them laid flat and I was thinking it would have been all liver. In my video, after I reviewed the footage, the first thing I said was it looked like one long liver. Okay. Uh, but, but after I laid them out, I think it was all liver. And that's, I think that's what it is, is for whatever reason that deer was hunched up. So he was using that Magnus head and as Josh said, damn Magnus head's a fine head. They've killed a load of deer. Uh, we watched our buddy Luke just absolutely drop deer after deer with him. Uh, Derek Day, or God, I always, always call him Derek Day because of New Day Outdoors. <laughs> I say that every single time in my head and out loud. Derek Craig from New Day Outdoors. Um, he's a dude that won our film festival uh, full length feature film uh, a couple weeks ago uh he uses magnus and kills a pile of turkeys kills a pile of deer um has probably killed other things that we don't even know about yet Uh, (laughs) if they've killed a lot of animals but when you have a inch and an eighth inch and 16th inch and a quarter versus a two and a quarter a two inch a two and a half and then you get into the you know, the triangular cut or the plus sign, you know, I call it a square hole, but, you mm-hmm. know, a plus sign, a T cut, whatever you want to call it. Um, those big holes can't close up. And not only 
do they bleed out quicker and the lung if you hit him in the lungs or as where josh hit his more than likely what happened is that deer's hunched up just like we talked about and then when he laid him out you're like oh no shit. I, it was, this was straight liver well if you put that big head on there now you've severed the diaphragm the back of the lungs more than likely and hit the liver and i know what that deer does every every time that deer's going 50 yards and toppling over they can't handle that when you put that big hole in both of the lungs like that and then you collapse the rest of the lungs by severing the diaphragm mm -hmm. and then you hit him in the liver my father-in-law shot the biggest deer i've ever seen to date still which is a which is a big ass deer i wish that we would have weighed this deer it's huge uh it ended up going 146 inches had eight and nine inch bases but the body was stupid it was absolutely dumb and greg had just bought a truck like he had it for like a year and we had this deer to drag all the way across this cornfield and i looked at him i said listen you have a choice to make i said <laughs> i damn sure help you drag this deer but i want to be super honest with you i don't want to I'm not looking forward to it and i would really smile big if you just drive the damn truck over here because <laughs> he's super you know he's the shop foreman congrats by the way love you greg he retired today after 47 years at mercedes-benz but he's super 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 anal about his his vehicles and especially i mean you know it's still kind of a new vehicle so i i can understand that so <laughs> long story even longer the deer was freaking huge he did drive over and we just loaded it we drug it like 40 or 50 yards and then loaded <laughs> it in the truck thank god it was huge um it had a 25 inch spread we could stand inside the antlers and there was room on each side of my waist so kind of tells you a little bit so anyway that deer he hit it in the back of the lungs severed the diaphragm and hit the liver with a it wasn't even a two inch cut it was like one and three quarter um that was one of those grim reaper white tail specials or whatever mm -hmm. and dude that deer that it was a terrible shot when i watched the arrow i was like oh shit. we've got a really long night ahead of us and I heard a crash, but I immediately, I was like, nah, I ain't buying into that bullshit. I don't know. No way. <laughs> that deer did not run 40 or 50 yards and fall over. We get down and we look in, at the arrow, and the arrow has nothing on it but like a, a glistening sort of uh, guttural matter, uh... you know, the gut slime or whatever. And I looked and there's very watered down blood, which also tells me some part of the intestines. And I'm like, oh no. So I told Greg, I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk over to where we heard that crash. And along the way, we're going to look for blood. And if we find something really good that we like, we'll go ahead and, you know, maybe search a little bit. And if we don't, find anything in the next you know 50 60 70 yards we're going we're going to come back tomorrow morning you know i'll come over here and look for it while you're at work or whatever dude we like took six steps 
And I looked up and saw glowing eyes. And it's literally it ran 45 yards and toppled over dead. And this this is and this is like 45 yards from our tree. He was 21 yards away. That deer went 30 yards max. And like wow. And we're talking about a big ass animal. So, you know, to kind of, you know, just reiterate those big holes do make a difference. But on the flip side of that, if that shot is, you know, 60 yards, well, now we're looking at a different situation. So just something for people to think about. But um, as far as gear goes, mobile gear, man, I'm going to be trying out all kinds of different stuff. Obviously, I'm a, a one sticker. I love it. Um, but in the early season, I'm not as big on it when we're trying to get as close as we can to these beds. And uh, I'm, I'm hunting really, really hard leaning trees that are also, you know, they're um, hickories and sycamores and uh, beech trees and, and stuff that, you know, you're, it's not a white oak or an ash tree or something, you know, a maple. Mm -hmm. They're very dense trees that do not have a lot of outer bark to dig into. So I'd rather not slide around a tree or, you know, have to climb the underside of the lean. So I just do two sticks. I'd, I'd rather not one stick up the underside of the lean because I don't want to look like a plumb bob when I slip <laughs> off, make the wrong move, and then I'm <laughs> hanging there and have to rappel down and figure out what the hell I'm going to do with my life because any other time, you just reach out and grab your stick or grab the tree. Well, not so much when gravity is taking over. So uh, gonna gonna be uh, using the new Elevate Ultra this year a little bit um, with their new sticks. Um, and then I'll probably play around with a setup also uh, like a really minimalistic setup for certain occasions with that new uh, Pursuit platform probably put like a couple of bull man steps or something on there and play with it um and then a couple of different saddles i'm sure probably do like a latitude sometimes and a, a cgm or um uh, maybe like a tube or buzzard roost or something i mean it just all depends on the day and what we want to play with but uh how about how about you guys what's your your mobile setups looking like um I'm changing it. What's that? For early season. Early season. So I am going a completely different route than what I did last year. Last year, I did more hang and hunt style. So I had Lone Wolf Assault 2 with, you know, full length sticks. I usually just carried, um, well, sometimes I would carry all four, but I would rarely use all four for early season because you don't need to be up to get up that high. I, a lot of times it was two or three, um, but I got tired of carrying all that real quick and all that thick stuff. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> and the areas I need to get to where these deer are, I can't use that on. It, it, it really limits my options. There's not a lot of trees I can use, and I really need to be pretty dang quiet when I'm sneaking into these places, trying to get close to these beds. So I got. Uh, a Latitude Method 2 saddle um, last at the end of last year. I haven't really, 
I haven't got to use it during season. So this will be the first season I'm using it. So I really want to, you know, develop a new skill with saddle hunting. So I'm, I'm just going all in for it this year. So I think the vast majority of my hunts, including mid season, late season, right. I just want to, I want to do a lot of saddle hunting. Um, so I, I tried a couple platforms and then I decided on latitudes, new rebel. Um, I actually just got it in today. It's pretty nice, pretty slick. I'm excited to play with it. So I'll be running the, their method two saddle, um, and their platform for early season. And I'm going to, I don't call myself a minimalist, but I don't like to carry a lot. And I like my small packs. Um, I also got a, a backwoods mobile like hitchhiker, hitchhiker pack um, that I'm going to um, really try and, and optimize and, and make it for a pretty smooth and sleek setup. Um, I think oh, yeah. what I'm working on is going to work pretty well. My goal is to get to a tree and not have to take anything off. I'll be able to hook my bow up to my hoist and then go ahead and go right up the tree and then take stuff down as I come down. So nice. Sounds dreamy. Yeah. Yep. I need to play with it and perfect it, but that's, that's going to be my goal. Good deal. Uh, Pickles. What about you? I'm running a Novix Hilo this year. I had a, uh, XOP vanish last year. I'm using the same sticks, the EWO lightweight sticks with, uh, two, uh, double webbed aiders and two double step webbed aiders sorry <laughs> um, that's very reinforced <laughs> um uh, i i had used the same sticks last year but with uh, single cable aiders on them so this will let me get a little bit higher up in the tree it's a lot lighter already than the xop i put it all together last night i'm really excited to uh, we're going tomorrow to climb some trees, Chris and I, to test stuff out. So I'm excited for that. This will probably be my, my, you know, thing for the entire season outside of my normal Ohio muzzleloader ladder stand type stuff that I do really late in the year or hunting out of a ground blind. And um, when I get into like rifle season and that kind of stuff, I actually like hunting on the ground a little bit more versus getting up in a tree stand. You know, I'll do I'll do it when, where and when I need to, but I'll probably still hunt out of that stand because it, it's it's small, it's compact, and it's not gonna you know break my back trying to get through a bunch of stuff that I exactly. uh, I'm trying to get to, which is which is a very nice option to have. So you know what uh, one thing you can do too, dude, that Emery does, uh, and a, a lot of guys do. I've done it with a one stick with a stand, even if you don't feel like climbing high. Mm -hmm. You can literally just take a stick and then get on it, set your stand. And just to give you that little bit of an advantage to get yep. up a little bit. And even um, you could even run a saddle with that thing as your harness, put the tree when you're gun hunting, put the tree in between you. Mm -hmm. and, then, and now you have a rest. You have a rest to use up against the tree. Right up against and, and then they can't pick you off. If, right. if you, you know, me, Personally, when I gun hunt deer, like 10, 15 yards, and I'm like, you little asshole. <laughs> like, you would, you're, you're at 70 with a bow, and, and now you're coming in this distance? This is stupid. <laughs> so clothing-wise, 
I know we're all running a lot of Huntworth stuff. Um, my boots, uh, I'm running these Zamberlin Lynx Ultramids. They've got the Boa laces. So far, they've been very good. I would say the one negative that I've found with those is that um, they get a little squeaky. Um, it's very weird. I, I hear, like, sometimes I wonder if other people hear the things I hear because my ears are sensitive and I'm probably, like, a little bit on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, I, I hear things and notice things that are weird. I'm, like, hyper aware or whatever. But um, they've been a great boot. They've really helped as far as the tread goes, digging in when going up, down, and side hills. Uh, they've helped support my ankles tremendously. I was running a Solomon GTX Ultramid 2 and 3, and those are basically basketball shoes. And so they weren't really supporting me very well. They're a 6-inch versus the Zamberlin, which is an 8. Um, but the Huntworth pants, the Durham pants, yeah. have been stellar this year. Um, they're uh Sheldon hoodie is going to be like that to me. Like, so for early season, generally we're wearing a t-shirt uh, a lot of times, especially in Kentucky with all those stupid no seams, I wear a long sleeve t-shirt. And if I can wear gloves, ye freaking ye, because those things will bite the shit of you. And that before you know it, and then, all of a sudden you're like swatting stuff on your arms and everything and not focused and moving and everything. So I wear a long sleeve, but every once in a while you get out there and it gets overcast and you get, you know, an eight, 10, 12 degree cool down. And all of a sudden the sun goes down and you're like, hey, I'm a little chilly. And that's, I think that's where that thing's going to really shine when you get to the tree and you cool off and dry mm -hmm. off. I'll probably just slip that thing right on because then you're, I mean, I'll be, I'll be as comfy as you could possibly get unless we're looking, you know, if we're looking at like a 80, 90 degree, probably 90 degree day or something, you're not going to want to put that thing on. But uh, I'll say this much. It saved my ass up there on uh, what was it? Uh, Lake St. Clair. I almost said Lake Michigan, um, Lake St. Clair on Michigan. That thing was, money oh so, yeah absolutely about that stuff yeah same here everything that i've gotten from them has been fantastic i wore my uh sheldon hoodie on the pacific ocean when i was right. when i was fishing and it was cut every bit of wind i i was super impressed i've been super impressed with the durham pants uh as well they've been just been great like just going straight through briars and stuff and it's not been any issue and the knee pads and the butt pad on it are like great, great things. That's the first time I've said that word the entire podcast, by the way, grip, just so you're aware. <laughs> um, so I'm still running a pair of under armor uh, brow tines that I have. Yeah. So I, they're not, they're, they're broken in like they're broken in. I love them. They don't have holes in them. I'm starting to get a hole. I will need to buy boots after this season. But I'm going to give an early concluder 
not to cut Josh off or anything, but an early concluder. <laughs> this is a this is a pro tip. Uh, if you need to break in boots and your kids are wanting to go to the zoo, wear your boots to the zoo. Walk a couple miles around the zoo. You can always get the scent off before deer season, but it's a good way to break in your boots. Wear, wear the socks that you're going to wear. Your feet might be a little bit sweaty, but man, does it help in putting you know some miles on footwear that if you're going to be serious about getting out and walking, it's, it's super helpful. It's a good tip. I like it. What about you, Josh? What are you wearing on your feet? Uh, so I'm trying to think of when I originally bought these. I have a pair of just like mid hiker boots. It's a, it's a, um, an Eddie Bauer brand. Um, they're, I found, I found them on sale when I first got them and then oh shoot. I got them before my wife and I went to Peru. We went hiking. Oh, so this was heck before we got married. Okay. So I don't know four years ago or so um, I had this pair and they lasted um, they're they're water resistant waterproof to an extent until I get really broken in and then that, that's my one big gripe about them is once you really break them in the waterproof is gone but my last pair they lasted me for two three years and they they held up pretty well I don't like real tall uh, boots I think I want to say these are six inch height just enough to get right over my ankles. Um, so for early season, they work out well. So I have another pair of those that are pretty broken in. I got them last year. Um, so I'll be wearing those on my feet. They're, nice. when they're broken in, they're kind of like tough shoes that are also water resistant. So um, I think they'll be good early season. I wear them when I go scouting a lot. Um, I wore them today uh, when I was out and about. Um, but that's my footwear. As far as early season clothing goes, I'm running pretty much the same thing you guys are. Those Huntworth um, Durham pants, I've been putting them through the paces this summer mm-hmm. for scouting, walking through brush. And uh, I have a pair of the Badlands uh, brush pants um, that I got last year. And I, I did a bunch of scouting and stuff in them. Uh, they they pill pretty easy. I, I will say, as far as comfortability, they are very comfortable, and for colder days, they work fantastic. But going through a lot of brush, they they pill um, easier than I was expecting. Uh, but these Huntworth pants are are holding up a little bit better than those, um, and obviously for a little bit of a better price point. So really liking those. I'll run those early season. Um, and some other lightweight stuff. Their Shelton hoodie is my favorite hoodie. <laughs> I, I cannot express it enough. It is my favorite hoodie. Um, so like Chris said, I'll, when it gets a little chilly, I'll be running that for a while. And then I have some of their um, Elkins midweight stuff when it gets a little colder. Nice. Yep. Good deal. Good deal. Well, any concluders, guys? I have a concluder. Conclude us. I will conclude it. Um, so just kind, just kind of a recap of what we talked about. Some of the three big takeaways that we covered as far as tactics for early season. Chris kind of talked about um, patterns as far as bed to feed. 
getting somewhat close to those deer during, you know, getting closer to the beds, but essentially hunting them on a, a more of a bed to feed pattern. I had talked about um, in the areas I'm hunting, getting in them, you know, on their beds because the they don't have much of a bed to feed pattern. So it's more bed hunting style. And then Rick talked about another tactic where it's essentially in these transition areas or these pinch points, you know, in between, in between bed and feed. So we each kind of hit on different tactics. Um, stuff we kind of gravitate towards depending on the area we're in so my concluder is there's a lot of different ways to kill deer find a way that works for you and works for your area and then and then go after it with that good deal i'm gonna stick with mine and say shoot your damn bow um <laughs> too many people just like they worry about gear and scouting and everything and forget the most important part like you can be amazing at all that stuff and if you can't make a good shot on your deer you're one of those guys that's like looking for a dog and the whole nine and uh you know i'm not gonna knock that because i'm sure someday i'll need a dog hopefully that day's really far away or never happens but um shoot your bow shoot your bow shoot your bow and know your know all of your equipment you know you can't touch practice and experience and you know when i've been that guy that didn't get my mobile set up out until literally opening morning and i'm climbing the damn tree and getting set up you know 40 minutes after daylight and all that i was like dude you should have practiced you moron so <laughs> You know, practice with your, your mobile hunting equipment, practice your with your bow and make sure. And, and the thing is, like, not everybody can shoot 40 or 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 yards. Some people can. It's okay that they can and it's okay that you can't. Some people have different situations. Don't get caught up in needing to shoot a certain yardage or whatever. Pick the range that's comfortable for you where you can, you know, I, I think I talked to Josh a little bit about this where basically start, you know, with a two inch dot at 20 yards and be able to hit it or, um, or it could be a three inch dot, whatever, you know, whatever your standards, but be able to hit that dot or be extremely close to it. And you know that you're going to be an effective killer at 20 and then add an inch or so per 10 yards and go out to 30, 40, 50 and see what you can do. But um, just, I can't stress enough, practice, practice, practice. Like you talk to people about it and they're like, well, I don't have time. You know, I'm, I'm swimming and boating and well, it might be, but come this, this uh, hunting season, you don't want to be that guy. So yep. that's yep. my concluder. Good deal. Um, mine, I already gave one. And the other one is if you can get somebody out in the outdoors, get out there and do it. This is a great time of year. Like I always say, every time of year is a great time of year, but I uh, took the opportunity, got my son, a small compound bow, and he's been coming out and practicing shooting bow with me. So it gets me out more. It gets him out more. So find a buddy. If you can, if you, if you need to have that accountability, find someone near you and, you know, hook up with them and go shoot bows, you know, a couple nights out of the week, 
you know, if, if you don't have the ability to shoot at your house, find a close range. Most people are willing to look through that kind of stuff with you. So with that, this has been Fueled by the Outdoors. We've been your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert, and our third kick or our kickstand, Josh Luck. <laughs> and uh, we will catch you guys next week. Bye-bye. See ya. See ya.